Good morning. Today's scripture is from the book of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, greetings, sojourner. My name is Chad Lewis. I'm a pastor here. And there have been a few times in my life when I've been traveling, when I've been in the presence of famous people, where you just kind of turn around, you see somebody famous. I used to be based in Atlanta, so I fly out of the Atlanta airport some. And there was a time I was just sitting there with a friend. We were going to do some music, and we looked over and we saw none other than Joe Piscopo. I know you're impressed. Most people don't know who that is. If you grew up in the 80s, he was on Saturday Night Live with Eddie Murphy, did some skits. But it was shocking. It was Joe Piscopo. All right, let's get to the next example. For those of you who may be a little bit younger, there was a time I was sitting, another time I was sitting in the Atlanta airport, and I turned around and I saw Usher. Yeah, I know. And the first thing I noticed is like, man, that dude is short. And he has some huge bodyguards around him. But I think the most amazing person that I unexpectedly saw, I was five years ago, I was sitting in a Chicago pizza joint with a friend, and we were sitting there, and we kind of heard some extra scuffling and noises and people starting to turn and look and point. And we turned and looked, and it was shocking. Guy was being ushered by, we suppose, the owner into a back room for private deep dish pizza. And I looked at my friend and I said, that was Mr. T. <laughs> it was Mr. T. To me, he was like a celebrity icon. So I saw him in Rocky Three when I was a kid, and I was like, that dude is scary. And then I grew up watching the A-Team, and I was like, oh, that guy's a big teddy bear. He doesn't even like to fly. Murdoch has to get the jump on him to drug him to fly every time. You can go back and watch for context. But think about it. Mr. T, everywhere he goes, he's recognizable. He can't eat without being bugged by people, people coming up to get snapshots of him, other things. And just imagined in that pizza restaurant, he's like, I pity the fool who messes with me while I eat my deep dish pizza. And so in context of today's sermon, you're waiting for me to tie this together, aren't you? But I was thinking about famous people and how power, earthly power and other things come and how... It's just interesting, we can't even get close to celebrities. And then I started thinking about uh, kings and queens in our modern day, and then it's like, well, even back well before that, when they really were kings and emperors, you couldn't even come into their presence without fear of being killed, because if you came in unannounced, they could just do a hand symbol, and boom, you're executed. And I started thinking about, well, what would we choose if we had to come to earth to accomplish just a, a, a great mission? And we, we could choose, a, come in a powerful way, come through a 
lineage where we're just immediately anointed king, what, what would we choose? And as I studied today's passage, I was blown away again by the reality of God's plan that he didn't have to set a rescue plan in motion, but he did because of his compassion, because of his love. And the way that Jesus, the son of God, the plan before the foundation of the world, the way he comes is to be humbly born in poverty, to be birthed around animals, and then to grow up as a carpenter's son. It's like, what? And let's, let's try as we continue to think and pray, like, Holy Spirit, affect me today by the marvelous work of your hand. And think that this was the divine plan, Jesus. And today we have the scene of his earthly ministry springing forth. And it's like, are there going to be parades? What's the marketing plan? None of that. We see him in line with notorious sinners. And so you have an outline in your notes, and we're going to jump into point one. First thing you probably notice in this scene is the protest of John. In verse 13 again, he says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And so let's remember the scene from last week. Remember John the Baptist, the man. He's the chosen one to proclaim the way forward that makes straight the path for Yahweh who was coming the anointed one. And we said his mission was clear. He was going to make this path straight. And his message was one that was pretty simple. You could sim simplify it down into repent. The kingdom of heaven is near or at hand. And so he's proclaiming all this. And remember the context again, 400 years of silence. And there, there've been no prophets in the land. God wasn't speaking. And here comes John the Baptist and he's speaking with power and truth and things are happening. Thousands of people are coming out to accept this message and to be baptized and things are rocking and people are expectant and excited. And so John, and this is kind of my holy imagination here. He's, we see some of this in Luke three. I think it's funny too, because it says even the tax collectors were coming out. Even the tax, that's like a diss, I guess, back in the day, even the tax collectors, the most notorious of all, they were coming to be baptized and accept this repentance. And he was saying to them, don't take what's not yours, just take what's right. And then behind them, there'd be some soldiers, and they're like, what must we do? Well, don't take people's stuff, dude. That's, that's a good start. That's my translation. And then my imagination rolls that maybe behind them were a group of prostitutes, and they were repenting and accepting this new kingdom way. And then behind them was an abusive husband. And then right next to them, right behind, and John's just going to town. They, he sees their repentance. He's baptizing. Then there's the drunkard who wastes all his family money. His, money, his family can't even eat because he's spent all their money. But he's repenting. He sees he's wrong. And then, right, he's going, okay, who's next? And he looks up and he's like, Jesus? What? Jesus? And doesn't it make sense that John would protest this? And as I studied this week and thought, John does push back on Jesus, but I think it's for different reasons than we might originally suspect. And so we kind of have this, this saying that the things that are clear in Scripture, we take a Sharpie, indelible ink, and we write it down, like Jesus is the way, the truth of life. Write it down. We don't need to erase that. But then we make some speculations, like what did John the Baptist know about Jesus? We don't know. So we take 
soft lead pencil and we write that so we can erase later if we're seen to be wrong. So what I'd like to do is take some of these indelibly marked facts and just do some speculation and, and think through with you here. Fact, John the Baptist related to Jesus. John's mother, Elizabeth. Jesus' mother, Mary, they're related. We can assume, this is more soft lead pencil, but that John heard stories of Jesus growing up and even they might have gotten together as families. We don't know. We know that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, they have to go to Egypt for a while to get away from evil King Herod. But then they come back and we know every year they go to the, the temple. We know when Jesus is 12, he's in the temple and the religious leaders are like, who is this kid? This kid's got wisdom. What is this? And so there's probably some, some overlap there. We don't know if they played together as kids. Maybe they were in synagogue together at times. Who, who knows? But what we do know is this. In John 1, it says explicitly that John the Baptist did not know certainly that Jesus was the Messiah until the dove would descend or the Holy Spirit would descend and rest on him. So at this moment, John is with Jesus. And in that John chapter 1 passage, amazing, one day he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is right after Jesus' baptism at some point. And he says, I didn't know it was him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said, the one that the Spirit comes and remains on is him. This is the anointed one. And kind of as a side, I was thinking about the marvelous plan of God, and I had never seen this before, and I've studied the Bible my whole life. John's speaking to his disciples at one point, talking about Jesus. And so there's two disciples. And one of those disciples of John is Andrew. And Andrew goes up to Jesus and says, Rabbi, where are you staying? Who is Andrew? He's one of the first disciples, the brother of Simon Peter. And so even thinking about how John's called to prepare the way of the Lord, he was even preparing disciples for Jesus. And so there's just all this stuff going on. So the, the Spirit hasn't descended yet in, in the sign for John the Baptist. So we go back to this scene, and we can guess that John looks at Jesus. He knows Jesus' life, and he looks at him and says, Jesus, you don't need to be baptized because you don't need to repent of anything. You're living a godly life. You're a man of God. Last week we saw how he, John the Baptist just ripped into the religious leaders, and he said, you brood of vipers, who told you to flee from the wrath that's coming? He says, you guys don't get baptized, no, until you show fruit that corresponds with a life of repentance. So he won't baptize the unrepentant. And then here he is, it makes sense that he doesn't want to baptize the one who doesn't need to repent. And so that's the first point. And it leads us to our second question. Well, then why did Jesus get baptized? We know our theology, don't we? Jesus, the sinless Son of God. Nothing to repent from. What well, leads us to our second point. This is our picture of righteousness. Verse 15. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consents. And so leads us to the question, what does this mean? It's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so there's this, just this, this stuff going on. The first thing that I noticed here, and I thought it was kind of a tender word just for me, is just like thinking about the humility and tenderness of Jesus 
to come to John. Whenever he deals with John, we saw it again later in Matthew when John's in prison. Man, there's a lot of tenderness. He loves John. But he says, it's fitting for us. It's fitting for us, John. He's inviting John in to participate in God's plan. John's already been following God's plan. Been doing it really well. And here he is, it's fitting for us. This is what we're going to do. And then we see the next points. To fulfill all righteousness. And we've seen this theme in Matthew quite a bit already. Matthew's going to love it for the rest of his book. He's saying fulfilled, this fulfilled. And this is the sixth of the seven occurrences in the introductory chapters one through four. And it doesn't give a verse that it's saying it fulfills, but it, there's the allusion to the Old Testament is, is all over the place. And we'll talk about that. But to, to fulfill means to say, God, what you say, I will do. This is, I'm going to do what God says. This is the consummation. This is the coming out party of Jesus. And God has said, it starts with baptism here. Because this is where I'm going to show that you are the anointed one. And what about righteousness? And we see in righteousness, we've, we've heard over and over again, even the call to repent. It's like, turn away from the worldly kingdom and turn to God's kingdom. Turn away from all this stuff and live rightly in line with God's will, with God's desires. And that's what the religious leaders had failed generation after generation in doing. And so Jesus says, John, it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So let's do this. And the point, the main point that I want to think about here is that Jesus in his baptism, he doesn't have to do this as an act of repentance because he doesn't need to repent of anything. But in the graciousness of God and Jesus' obedient following, he's saying, I am identifying myself with the repentant remnant of Israel. He's saying, I identify with y'all. This is, this is me identifying with you. And once again, I just had that picture again, him with the drunkards, the prostitute, all these people lined up. And it was shock. I mean, it just had to be shocking. Jesus, why? Why? And I thought about the heart of our God again, and, and Paul puts it in Philippians 2 so beautifully. Why did our God come in such a humble form? And, and Paul puts it like this as an admon admonition to the people in the Philippian church. He says, you must have the same attitude that a Christ Jesus had. And let's, let's soak in this. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Some of your translations say something to be grasped, something to be held on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. And he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. This is Jesus, our Savior. And one of the quick applications I thought about it this week is how often we can become numb to these beautiful truths. And the greatest command of all is love God with all you got, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not just your intellect. Like, I got that box checked. It's like, man, how do you stir your affections to say, Jesus, I want to love you more? Because as we look at these passages, if, if your affections aren't growing more for Jesus, you will not live a power-filled life. You will not follow him at all costs. 
But when we're able to sit, get rid of the distractions of the world and say, Lord, stir my affections for you. Let me see, first of all, that you love me first. That's the first movement of Christian spirituality. It's not that we love God or do anything for him. It's that you love me first. Lord, stir my heart that I could love you more. And I imagined this church 20, 30 years from now that people could walk around by God's grace and just say, what do you think of sojourn? It's like, man, those people love Jesus. They love Jesus. But it's more than intellectual. That is a part of it. But it's, it's our hearts, our affections. We move our bodies to this place. So Jesus identified with us. But here's the main point I'd like to camp out for the rest of the sermon. Jesus identified with us by being baptized so that we might identify with him in his Father's blessing. Jesus identified with us in his baptism so that we might identify with him in his Father's blessing. And so here's the power and the promise of blessing. Verse 16, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is my Son, in whom I take delight. I delight in my son. What's this mean for us? What's it mean for them? The heavens were open. The first thing I noticed, the heavens are open. And that's an Old Testament illusion all over the place. Because in Ezekiel, when he sees the vision, the heavens are open. Later on in Acts, when Stephen's stoned, what happens when he's about to die? He sees the heavens open. And for 400 years again, there's been no heaven opening. There's been no prophet in the land. There's been no... New revelation, nothing. And here at this scene, the heavens open. Here comes the voice of God. And I looked in Luke 3, and I was blown away by this. One day when the crowds were being baptized, so this is Luke's account, Jesus himself was baptized, and notice this. And he was praying, the heavens opened. And so in this whole process, Jesus is praying while he's being baptized. And it's like the conversation continues. Jesus is already praying, and then the heavens open, and then the voice of God comes, the Spirit descends. It's like, man, this is a picture of perfect union, perfect communion among our triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's like, man, this is what we're invited into. The Holy Spirit comes and descends and rests on him. And once again, this was a sign to John the Baptist, just a grace to him to say, hey, that's going to be the anointed one. You'll know at this point your ministry will decrease and he will increase. And John was so good with that. The Holy Spirit resting on him, it, it stirs images from Isaiah, which Matthew's quoted from a lot. And hear this from Isaiah 42. I thought this was really beautiful. Talking about Jesus says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And then catch this. He will not grow faint or discouraged, which we see through his ministry, till he's established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. So we have fulfillment, righteousness, righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will keep you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out 
the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And that's John's take in the gospel of John, right? The beloved one, Jesus, the light of the world, came into the dark world. It's like, buckle up, guys. Light's busting forth right here. Declares the Messiah has come. And there's so much imagery here in these Isaiah passages of, of the Messiah, not just being king, but being a suffering servant. And they wouldn't understand that until after his death and resurrection. But the other picture that just came to mind with the descending, the spirit descending like a dove is, is back in Genesis 1-2 when the creation is taking place and the spirit of God hovers over the waters and brings order and beauty. And what has been fractured in the fall, God's making right through Jesus. He's making all things new. And that includes me and you. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but you know I am a songwriter. This was assigned to John. And then this, this tender part, let, let's soak in it. The Father's declaration. My beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. And the messianic precursor, you think back to Psalm 2, where the son is talked about being delighted in, the anointed one, the king that was coming. We saw that with the magi. Where's the king of the Jews? Herod trying to kill him. All these, all these prophecies saying, this is the king. This is the king. And it's not an earthly kingdom he's setting up. And they'll see that more and more. But the father is delighting in Jesus. And I think this is the father's definite delight in Jesus, his personhood. And Jesus, part of the triune God. But it also is the father's delight in Jesus' obedience, fulfilling all righteousness. He's doing everything right. He's rolling forward. And here's the main point where I want to seek to apply it. Here, think about all Jesus has done in his earthly ministry right now. What's he done? Nothing. He hasn't preached a sermon. He hasn't done a miracle. Hasn't called his disciples. He hasn't done anything in the earthly ministry. But what's the truth of him? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Everything that Jesus will do from this point forward, just like every moment he's lived before, is founded in the solid nature of his identity as the son of God. God's like, this is my son. I'm well pleased in him. Everything will flow from this blessing. Everything flows from this blessing. Jesus isn't working for a blessing. Everything flows from this identity being secure. And we see this over and over again through the Gospels and just a few points. Like he, he goes to his hometown, opens up the scroll, reads the prophecy of Isaiah. This, this was fulfilled in me. And what do they do? They're like, yeah, Jesus, woo! We got a new preacher in town. Let's go. No, it says they're so enraged. They take him to a cliff to throw him over. It's like, I don't know how bad my sermon is today, but I hope that's not your response. That's their response. But what happened? Miraculous. He just walks and goes to the next thing. That's Jesus. What about his friends? These guys that he's with day in and day out, teaching them, showing them miracles, doing all this stuff. What do they do? They try to dissuade him 
from doing God's plan. He's like, no, Jesus, you're not going to die. No. He's like, no, I am. This is, for, this is the reason for which I came. And even in the garden, in that most intense moment, what do the disciples do? They fall asleep. He's like, please stay awake and pray with me. The agony of Jesus' soul and his friends couldn't even stay awake. And then at the cross, what do they do? They bail. Was his identity shaken? No. Was the mission thwarted? No way. He was secure in his identity. It did not matter what people did in response to what he did. He's faithful. This is Jesus. And the very people he came to save are the ones who cry, crucify him. And we see the heart of God on the cross when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he looks to John and says, John, your mother, he's taking care of his mother and his dying breath. The compassion, the humility, the love of our Savior. This is Jesus. So he shows us. He doesn't just, he definitely dies for our sins. He's resurrected, victorious. Amen. But he shows us how to live. And that's why one of the things we say a lot is like eternal life isn't in the future. It's right now. And even the way Jesus describes it in John 17, he says, this is eternal life that you may know God and the one who he sent. It's like knowing God right now. This is where we are. And one of the, the paradigms we have at Sojourn is like, if you're a Christian, you're a minister. You may not have the title pastor, but we're all called, as, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, we're ambassadors for Christ. The Holy Spirit has given each child of God gifts to do the ministry. So we're all ministers. We all do life. And if you get this backwards, if you're living your life to earn a blessing or for a blessing, at the end, you'll be crushed. We see it time and time again. We see it in pastors' lives. We see it in mothers' lives, fathers' lives. We see it in, in the work world. It's like if you are working to earn or achieve your ultimate identity, you'll be crushed. You'll get, you'll, you'll get maybe some people get farther than others because they just have more juice in the tank or whatever. But you, you will be crushed. And maybe that's you here today. You're crushed. And even in that crushing, there's a grace because it's pointing to say, hey, there's something more. There's a different way to look at it. And so as we think about applying this, maybe we'll start, start with me. I'm preaching a sermon here today. I look for the friendly faces when I preach because I don't want to be thrown off a cliff. So I want to pick who's on my side if anyone comes to me to do that. And I remember a few years ago, I've been preaching at Sojourn for many years. I was preaching a sermon in the 930 building we had, low ceilings, the speakers were pointed in such a way that if you were in the direct line of it, your ears would bleed because the music was so loud, and we liked it that way. It was a sign of our commitment to the Lord. <laughs> and um, I remember preaching this sermon on, <laughs> we were just preaching through the Bible like we do, but we came to the point where uh, it says, you'll be hated if you follow Jesus. So the title of the sermon is, You're, you'll be hated. It's a great title. Thank you for that. Uh, but I was preaching it, and there was this guy on the front row, and he was just giving me the stink eye, and he was just like, this. 
And in my mind, you know, you think through stuff. Like I'm, I'm thinking through like a grocery list right now while I preach. Not really. But you think through stuff and it's like, that guy is ticked. And the more I preach, the madder he gets. And it does something to your soul. Because it's like, this guy wants to take me out after. Not to lunch, but to the woodshed. And I'm going to have to tell him, like, do you realize how big I am when I'm standing with him and say, I was trained by Mr. T. You need to back off. So that was just to weave everything together from the beginning. But I remember, and it just, I'm practicing in my head, like, I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm just preaching God's word. My success is not dependent on how someone receives it. I pray they do receive it. But that's a hard work. What if you're teaching a class? We got a lot of amazing teachers in this church, men and women. What if you're so locked up, like this is your internal world, and it's like, I've got, there's so many talented preachers and teachers here. I've I've got to do this perfectly. I've got a part, but I don't even know Greek. I don't even know that the Old Testament's in Hebrew and some Aramaic, but maybe I do, but I don't know how to read it. And it's just like, I'm so tense. I've got to do this to earn a blessing. I've got to make sure they know that I'm a good teacher. I've got to, and there's no freedom in that. Earning a blessing rather than saying, hey, I am where I am. I know what I know. I'll study. Lord, use what you have done in me, and may it be a blessing to them. What about as a mom or dad? You snap at your kids, and you go, I'm a failure. Are you? You may have failed. We all fail. But are you a failure? We fail. But then in humility, we go to our kids and like, hey, daddy got too upset right then. I was too intense. Please forgive me. I don't want to be a daddy like that. And the list goes on and on. I had this story come to mind this morning. It was, I taught high school math, calculus, and algebra two. I was coaching sports, not because I was a sports stud, but I was available to coach and so I was doing basketball and some cross-country and track. And it was at a big Christian school. It was actually the one Michael Orr went to. If you've seen the Blindside movie, it's in Memphis, Tennessee. And, man, they took their athletics seriously. But after two years of that, I was like, man, I'm rich. And I wasn't really rich. I was just used to being really poor, um, teacher salary and coaching salary. But it was like, I can't do this anymore. And so I, f- I sincerely felt the call of God to go to Atlanta to work with a homeless ministry that worked with hurting teens and not to get paid for it. But I remember the athletic director sitting me down and saying, Coach Lewis, he had a real deep voice. He's an old football stud. Coach Lewis, you'll see this is as good as it gets. And in my mind, I was like, I'm not going to contradict him, but I'm like, I'm sure hope not. For me, I hope not. Because this ain't good for me. And if this is as good as it gets, I tap out. But I went to work in Atlanta, lived with homeless guys, tried to get them. It was a big mess. I remember one guy off the street came in and and took a bath, and there was this ring of dirt around the tub that would never go away. That's just an extra story for you that wasn't planned. but. (laughs) But on Friday nights, we'd have this coffee house night where we'd invite in hurting teens, and some of them were drug, drug addicts, and it was like, they would just trash this coffee house that we had as a ministry house. And me being the new ministry volunteer, I got to clean it up every week, 12 midnight, 1 a.m. So I'd be mopping, and I'd be like, Chad, you made the biggest mistake of your life. You left coaching and teaching to do this for free. 
And then the, really the, the cycle would get even sicker than that. It's like, man, you're a loser, dude. You got no identity. You're not doing ministry. You're mopping the floors. This isn't going to make a difference. Earning a blessing, seeking to. But there were times when I'd be mopping the floor in tears, saying, Lord, I'm the hurting teen, and I've trashed your house over and over again. You've mopped up for me. Lord, you came as a servant. You didn't have to do any of this. You washed your disciples' feet. You washed my feet. Lord, I praise you that I can clean up these broken bottles right now. And I worship the Lord. And I was thinking about the psalmist. Better a day in the house of the Lord as a doorkeeper than a thousand elsewhere, right? Identity secure, identity shaken. And I wanted to close with a, a couple charts here. And this is from a South African pastor, a Methodist pastor named Trevor Hudson in a book called Cycles of Grace. And it's, it's kind of blown me away thinking about it and trying to apply it. And I prayed, I prayed, prayed today that this would affect our hearts, that you could even see simplicity of a chart and just go, man, Lord, work in my heart. So the first chart is this. These are some essentials in the Christian life, in any life, really. We're created for these. We're created to be accepted. We long to belong. We all desire acceptance. Sustenance, well, that's what I'd call like food for the soul. We need something to get our soul fed or we will just be depleted and anemic. Significance. I'd say that's kind of like our core identity. I'm significant. We need to be significant, don't we? We're all creating the image of God. Every human being has worth and dignity. And then finally, achievement. We want to do things, don't we? We want to do good things. If you're an artist, you want to make beautiful art. Musician, you want to make good songs. If you're an architect, you want to design beautiful buildings. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you want to, you want to really nurture your children and, and Raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. These things are fine. These are good. These are actually built into us. But this is where it goes sideways. The next slide is kind of the cycle of works. This is the kingdom of the world. This is what our flesh would say. This is it. This is what the world says. This is it. This is what the domain of darkness says. This is it. And everything is set up. The air we breathe. This is what it points us to. It says it starts with achievement. You got to achieve this is working for a blessing, not from a blessing, but you have to achieve. And if you achieve and it's good enough, then you'll be significant. You will have some significance. And so your significance is based on your achievement. And then from there, you might be able to get some sustenance out of that. I, I talk about it like this. It's like you do something well and someone gives you a compliment. It's like, notice me, notice me, notice me. And then they notice you and it looks like it's going to fill you up. And it comes in and it gets into the heart and it's like, oh, I feel so good. And then it passes through into a black hole and it's gone. It's like, oh, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Because we can't be sustained trying to earn a blessing. And then if we work hard enough, if we achieve enough things, if we are significant enough, we get sustained enough, then maybe, maybe we'll be accepted. Maybe. And the cycle goes round and round and round. And some of you can survive on that for a long time. I hit my wall a while ago. And it's like, man, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. 
What got me so far was not going to lead me any further on. And there's the invitation. The next one, I'm calling it the cycle of blessing. This is what Jesus shows us. Everything starts in the Christian life with acceptance. Before Jesus does an earthly miracle, his identity is secure. He flows from that point. Before you do anything in the Christian life, your identity is secure. You are accepted. Could it be that the father delights in his child? And I say, yes. Could it be that he is pleased because of the sacrifice of the son with you? Yes. Does this mean that I can live from this place of acceptance? It's unshakable. No one can pull us from the Father's hand. And from this place of acceptance, everything changes because we don't go left. We go to the other direction. We say, we go to, I don't even, I'm looking at it a different way here maybe. Hey, we're going, can you say right? Right. All right, here we go. We're going to sustenance from our acceptance. What is sustenance? It's what we need for our soul. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. So we feed on Jesus, on his words, and we say, my sustenance comes from being accepted by the Father. I'm sustained by that. And then from that place, our significance, our identity is secure. It's not based on anything we do. But this is the cool part. When this is sinking down into our hearts and we get it more into the bones and marrow of our lives, the achievements will come. And you may have to redefine achievements. You may have to redefine success. I'd rather put faithfulness there. You will be faithful to the call. You will do good things. You will love the unlovable. You will grow more in love with God. You will love your neighbors yourself. You will show up at medical clinics if you're able. And you'll love on people that are different than you. Regardless of what their response may be, you'll follow in obedience because you're so enraptured with the love of God and what his, he has done for us that it's like, yeah, why wouldn't I do that? And God will bring about the fruit. It's not up to us. It's God. I can't change anybody's heart. I cannot convince someone to follow. I cannot, in my own logic, my own power, my own strength, but I can point to the one who can. And that's why we are ambassadors. We're pointing to the one who can. And so, brother and sister, I want to say, I want Sojourn to be a church that does so many good works, so amazing things that God uses us to achieve so many things beyond our greatest imagination. But why? Because we're accepted. Because it's not about us achieving. It's about us saying his name and his renown are the desires of our heart where we say, God, I want you to be made known. I don't care if they forget me. I want to be like John the Baptist. May I decrease? May you increase? Lord, I want my kids to be filled with your spirit and your love. I want our church to know you. I want this neighborhood to know you. I want this city, this world to know you, your goodness, your love that you've made a way for us. But that can only come if we're rooted knowing that we're living from blessing. And so, brothers and sisters, you're rooted. And I thought just as a quick application point, you may be saying, like, Chad, what do I do, man? Some of you are already live in this. Get with the people who are struggling. We struggle. And I thought about it like this. You can, if you want to be really sure about a verse you pick, you can pick one of Paul's I'm convinced passages because he's really convinced about those passages. 
And that's a little joke because he's convinced about everything he writes. It's the word of God, so we say it's all true. So I'm convinced passage. He says, I'm convinced he who began a good work in you, he's going to bring it about to completion. I'm convinced neither height nor depth nor any principality, nor anything in all creation can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Take one of those verses, stick it in your pocket, and set your alarm on your phone, morning, noon, and evening. And when it goes off in the morning, pull out the card, and you're doing battle with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, with the shield of faith. And you're saying, Lord, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Open not just your Word to me, but me to your Word. And as you read, say, Lord, may this become more true in my life, that I'm I'm founded in your acceptance, and I want everything to flow from that. And then said it, noon comes, and you blew up at a coworker, and you're like, Lord, I am terrible at this. I feel like a failure. But Lord, you say I'm secure. Lord, I pray that I would live like I am secure and not be so anxious or so reactionary. And then the evening, do it again. Talk about it in community and say, Lord, may I love you more. Lord, may I keep in step with your spirit. May I hear your spirit and listen. And may I go from this place achieving, not because this is earning me anything, but because I'm rooted in significance. I gain my sustenance from the acceptance that God has given me. And we come to the sacred symbol that Jesus gives to his disciples the night he's betrayed. And I want to tell you this today. He broke... This bread and said, this is my body which is for you. He, his body was broken for us. And his blood was shed for us. It sealed the new covenant. It's sealed. It's done. Done. The blessing is ours. And a lot of times we may consciously or subconsciously come to the Lord's Supper each week and say, man, this is going to make me right or this is going to earn a blessing. This is just a sign of the blessing. This flows from the blessing your acceptance. And so be reminded all Jesus has done, all that he's doing. You can break off a piece of the bread, dip it into the juice or wine, whatever your conscience permits. And if you're not a Christian here today, the scriptures say, don't take part in this, but we would love, we would just cherish the opportunity to talk to you about the prophecies pointing to Jesus, about how he makes our worlds come aligned and it makes sense and how he has changed our hearts and given us hope. And so as you come today, come as one who is blessed because you are. And then live from that. And respond in the singing. And my prayer, even as we sing the last song, that some chains would be broken today where you've been gripped by shame, you've been gripped by workaholism, by the frenetic pace of trying to earn something that's already been given to you. And that you could rest in that here today. Let's pray together.